Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the federal government releases its action plan on the final report of the national inquiry into missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. For decades, indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit LGBTQQIA plus people across Canada have disappeared, suffered violence, or been killed. For decades, many of you have been calling for justice, healing, and concrete action to stop this tragedy. The NDP calls on the government to drop its legal battle against First Nations children and survivors. People are now saying very clearly that it is not good enough to fly the flags at half-mast. It is not good enough for the federal government to just express words of condolences, particularly when they are still fighting Indigenous kids in court, particularly when they're still fighting Indigenous survivors in court. And Quebec moves up the timeline for administering second doses of COVID vaccines. I think we're feeling great. I said that if I had the chance, I probably I would have brought uh, some balloons with me just to show the state of mind that we have today. It's Friday, June the 4th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by CBC at issue panelist Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. So let's talk about the federal government's action plan resulting from the final report of the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. Um, the timing of this obviously is is very, very relevant, um, given the discovery last week of uh, at the uh, at the residential school in British Columbia. So there's a lot of attention on this right now. Uh, what do you take away from that? What are, what do you think are the, are the components of this that will get the most attention? Yeah, uh, this was obviously tied to the second anniversary of the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, um, report, uh, but and it was criticized because it was supposed to actually come out last year, if you'll recall, and then the government basically blamed COVID. Um, it was released publicly on Thursday, and it was met with immediate criticism from um, Indigenous groups uh, from across the country, frankly, Mark, uh, saying that what was in uh, this action plan was really more of a plan to have an action plan and that it didn't come they were even criticized by the conservative party for the fact that that there was no specific funding attached to the uh, nearly two dozen immediate actions that could be taken um some of these things are big things like guaranteed annual livable income uh these are things the government says it's going to work with provincial partners um, and indigenous stakeholders to get done. Uh, other things include, for example, ensuring access to high-speed internet. But there are things that you could also imagine that they could have announced, uh, you know, having basically had this report for two years, it could have taken the time to announce that they were investing in trauma-informed training for those people who work with Indigenous people who've gone through uh, that experience, or yeah. a national emergency phone number, or uh, one of the recommendations, I think, was uh, about a deputy commissioner for Indigenous people in correction facilities. Uh, so they were criticized on the left, on the right, basically for everybody for coming up with an action plan that did not meet the expectations that the government itself seems to have set. Mm. Meanwhile, the NDP is calling on the government to drop its legal battle against First Nations children and survivors. This is 
other people have made this call as well, that they feel that it's uh, it's hypocritical. That's a word some people have used of the government to talk about reconciliation and to, to speak of sympathy for the families of the children in residential schools and to continue this legal battle. So uh, where do you see this going? I know there'll be a motion about this next week. Yeah, the standing piece using its opposition day motion, which will be voted on on Monday to call on the liberals to stop basically two court cases that they have um, going on right now. One is the liberal government is appealing a, human, a Canadian human rights tribunal decision that ordered Ottawa to pay $40,000 to each of 50,000 First Nation children that were separated from their families um, by uh, through chronically underfunded childcare welfare system. And the other is about a tribunal decision that widened the applicability of the Jordan principle. That was, if you'll recall, um, this idea that you couldn't just let a child die while the province and the federal government were, was arguing about who should fund the bill, uh, saying that you need to treat First Nations children first and then argue about uh, who's going to pay for what later. Um, so uh, the Liberals have not told the NDP which way they are going to vote, but uh, past actions suggest they probably are going to vote for this motion. Um, but they haven't made a, at least as we record this, I'm not aware that they've decided to publicly say they'll support it. But it is one way that the NDP is hoping uh, to capitalize on the fact that the Liberals have really made huge, huge promises when it comes to Indigenous issues. And when you look at their follow through, whether it's, um, you know, still fighting with the survivors of one residential school in Ontario or uh, the lack of Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action that have been fulfilled, uh, the, the record doesn't matter, match the rhetoric. And so the NDP and Jagmeet Jane, the leader, is accusing liberals of basically being hypocrites. All right, let's turn to uh, the, the COVID-19 uh, developments of the day. And uh, interesting to see that Quebec is accelerating the timetable for the second dose to be administered to many people. Meanwhile, it looks like Canada will benefit from a plan in the United States to distribute vaccines to other countries. Um, so uh, let's let's look at at the latest on vaccinations. It 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 could end up being more than a one dose summer for a lot of Canadians, right? Yeah, well, it makes me think of uh, Jason Kenney at a press conference earlier this week, and it said. Um, two-dose summer was what was written uh, on the lectern. I, I, and I think it seems like where we're going actually is at least by August, the most Canadians will have uh, their second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, what was announced yesterday, basically Quebec is speeding up. Um, it's, uh, it's rollout of the second dose. It had, you know, it was one of the first provinces, not the first province, to announce that they were going to wait 16 weeks before giving people the second dose. At the time, it seemed like the bull moved, but they decided that it was smarter to vaccinate more people with the first dose than follow um, the, the guidelines from the pharmaceutical companies. Now they've trimmed that to eight weeks, and so they can get on with uh, their vaccination much faster than, say, in Ontario. So maybe Ontario has a... Uh, we'll be looking at Quebec, uh, not just the fact that the patios are open, uh, but that the dosage are coming much faster with some envy. But the big news, though, on Thursday was that the U.S. has decided to uh, ship out some of the many millions of doses that it has been sitting on. Uh, it is, of course, a, a COVID-19 vaccine supplier, but it had basically been hoarding them and accused of hoarding them. 
So it announced that it's shipping 19 million doses through the COVAX program and 6 million doses, an additional 6 million doses, directly to its neighbors, including Canada. So we are going to get more vaccines from the U.S. And that has led um, groups like UNICEF and World Vision and the Canadian Council of, um, of the Anglican Church to, to suggest that um, well, then if you're going to have all of these doses, then you need to, to give the rest of the world uh, the millions of doses that you will be sitting on. Canada has ordered more doses per capita than any other country. Um, and uh, the group says it has a responsibility to share with the rest of the world. Now, so far, Ottawa has not said that they're willing to um, ship out. Uh, any doses that have already been allocated for Canada, um, but has promised that basically once uh, they do reach excess vaccine capacity, once everybody has been vaccinated, wants to be vaccinated, then Canada will be willing to share with the rest of the world. All right, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, meanwhile, um, there's been a motion in Parliament uh, against the executive compensation that was handed out to the senior officials at Air Canada as they were negotiating support from the federal government. Um, the, uh, the Prime Minister has spoken about this, others have as well. Um, do you think that Air Canada is going to feel a lot of pressure to, to change some of those decisions? I'm sure the politicians would like Air Canada to feel uh, some type of pressure, and that is what the motion proposed by the Bleu Québécois, which received unanimous um, support on Thursday evening, basically calls for it. Basically, all MPs condemned Air Canada for uh, giving its executives bonuses before uh, signing on to a, a federal plan that prevented them. Uh, from uh, giving their executive bonuses. And so the government is saying, well, you acted in bad faith. Um, and it, we heard Minister Freeland earlier in the week suggest that because Canada had 6% stake in Air Canada, it could use its leverage as a stakeholder to try to get some changes. Um, what's clear is that uh, the, at least the politicians believe the public is disgusted by, by this uh, Ottawa lent Air Canada $6 billion. Uh, it gave Air Canada more than $500 million in the Canadian wage subsidy. Air Canada still laid off 20,000 workers, and now millions of dollars went to pay executives, uh, you know, kind of uh, hoping that perhaps Ottawa and the public would not notice, um, uh, kind of went, you know, did it through the back door instead of the front door. Yeah. All right. We'll see uh, if, if anything changes there. Uh, all right, Althea? Thank you so much. I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> Althea, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. You too, Mark. That's CBC at issue panelist, Althea Raj. It was very important for me that we impose strict limits on executive compensation. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues, with big bonuses, Air Canada gives us all a $10 million slap in the face. The Star writes, The revelation of the Air Canada bonuses triggers two thoughts. First, the oft-repeated notion that we're all in this together is one of the larger lies of contemporary times. Second, it's not for nothing that pride and greed usually head the list of humanity's seven deadly sins. Air Canada has provided a master class in either misreading or not caring how such pocket stuffing would look to Canadians who have endured a year of death, sickness, job loss, and heartache. 
In the Montreal Gazette, Jeffrey Chamber argues the Bill 96 language legislation infringes on civil liberties. Chamber writes, After trial balloons about draconian measures affecting signs, municipalities, and SAGEPs, the cover story put forward by defenders of Bill 96 is that it could have been worse. This glosses over the bill's suspension of civil liberties and basic human rights. Purportedly designed to solve the unproven problem that French is in decline, Bill 96 is in fact an attack on our civil liberties and should be resisted because it will profoundly damage the fabric of Quebec. At iPolitics, Michael Corrin asks if the Catholic Church should lose its charitable tax status. Corrin writes, Most churches were involved in the residential school system, and most have made apologies. Not, however, the Roman Catholic Church. When it comes to tax status, change is certainly possible. It's not that it will happen, more that people are discussing it, because they're desperate to make the church aware of the pain caused by the residential schools and by subsequent refusals to be authentic about what happened. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. A parliamentary trade committee kicks off its hearings today on the latest threat to Canada-U.S. trade. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, the Commons Committee on International Trade voted last week to start hearings into the U.S. Commerce Department's announcement that it will be almost doubling the U.S. tariffs and duties on Canadian softwood lumber. Today at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, the committee will start its look into how the government of Canada can and should respond to this latest round of protectionist measures spurred on by the U.S. softwood lumber lobby. Committee members will hear from, who else, the person who's going to lead the Canadian efforts to counter the tariffs, Mary Ng, the Minister of Small Business, Export Promotion and International Trade. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will be joined by Public Services Minister Anita Anand, at a news conference to provide an update on COVID-19. He will also take part in a virtual conversation with students and faculty at the Ryerson Democracy Forum. Middle-class Prosperity Minister Mona Fortier will announce community-based climate action initiatives across Canada. Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Carolyn Bennett will hold a news conference to speak about the federal contribution to the action plan to address missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan and Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will provide an update on the government's commitment to plant 2 billion trees to mitigate the impacts of climate change. Minister of Northern Affairs Dan Vandal will make a virtual announcement about funding for women's and equality-seeking organizations in northern Canada. And Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will announce an investment to support clean technologies in the agricultural sector. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, June the 4th. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.